Please enjoy this sport bloke segment from an upcoming or recent episode. So, Shui, let's get on to the NBL. And, oh, my God, first of all, I've now seen the full Perth, New Zealand game from last Monday, the one that was over in Tassie, not the one that was here on the weekend. My God, it was absolutely game of the season. It was incredible. The Hugo Besson, 17 points in the third quarter. You don't have to put on a French accent every time you say Besson. Well, (laughs) Gazy was doing it every time. That's partly why I did it. And he had Corey Homicide Williams in absolute stitches. The co- like what was funny was after that night after we recorded, I saw on Twitter all these people, and the next day as well, before I'd seen it, all these people were writing to Andrew Gaze and Corey Homicide saying, Oh, thanks for the call. I'm like, I can't think of any situation where people have thanked commentators for the call. But then I watched the game and it was so entertaining. I can totally understand why they did. Because yeah. oh my goodness, if you don't see any other game this season, watch that game because it was incredible. Bryce was amazing, Vic was amazing, and as I say, Hugo had 17 in the third quarter alone. Now, you got a first-hand look at him on the weekend, Shui, on Sunday here in Perth, the first of the nine home game stint. I reckon he's a genuine lottery pick talent. What do you think? He was fucking average in that game. Yeah, okay. I didn't say it. Yeah, <laughs> he was, he's only young. He was average. Three of 15 from the field. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, did, he did have one of the most gorgeous finger rolls I've seen in the NBL, though, I will say sort of looked the guy off and floated through the air and just, yeah, just laid at home. Oh, was, I, I'm a big fan. It was nice. Look, we did a little bit of a, a crossover with Andrew from the NBL Pocket Podcast. I was able to go along with him to the game and so great to be there in person. Even half full, the stadium was so loud. Oh, yeah, it would have been rough. So, rocking. so loud. And, yeah, it just, it was so nice. And full thanks again to Nick Tan for allowing us to use his tickets. It was brilliant to be so close to the court, literally sitting probably five metres away, well, maybe a little bit more, but still very, very close to the action. It was, ah, oh, place was rocking. It was a weird game, though. The first quarter was one of the most entertaining quarters I reckon I've seen all season, even including the game that we just spoke about. Yeah, well, that's a huge call. New Zealand came out on fire. They put all their energy into it. But with Andrew and I having a chat, we just both agreed, look, they're going to run out of legs eventually. It's often the way, yeah. It's a long trip to get across to Perth. No one's made that trip for a while. So they've kind of forgotten that yeah, yeah. Your, your legs run out in, the, in that second half. And look, Yanni Wetzel dominated that first quarter. And Thomas Abercrombie was superb as well. And they just did nothing after that. So the last three quarters, they did very, very little. They had, yeah, as I said, nothing from, from Besson. They had very little from Diang. He was two of eight for five points. Finn Delaney had 11 of his 14 in five and a half minutes of the third quarter. Other than that, he was barely sighted. So, yeah, it was just one of those games where the first quarter was great and New Zealand kind of came back to the mean a little bit and, and they kept it close probably up to about maybe the two or three minute mark of the, the last quarter and then Perth just ran away with it. It was, look, the rebounding was probably the most exciting thing for me. Obviously, Vic Law superb again in the mid-range. Bryce Cotton did Bryce Cotton things. It, it was just great to watch them and the, the role players did their part. But and weirdly, the chemistry is almost better with no Fraser. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. yeah. Absolutely, it is. But to win that rebounding battle 42 to 23 against a team with Yanni Vettel. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a domination. It is utter domination. Yeah, so wow. I think the, the rest of the league is on notice now. Perth are at home. They're about to make a big stand. Oh, yeah. Perth would have to take something cataclysmic to not finish top two. And the top the top spot is a really good chance too because reinforcements might be arriving. John Brown the third. John Brown the third. Looks a bit like John Jackson. Plays a bit more like Roselle Ellis. 
Yeah, I, I think that's probably based on uh, the based on the very limited footage I've seen. In fairness, yeah, I will say this: I'm not sold at all on his handle, so we don't want to be. Put oh no, yeah, yeah, he's a typical powerful, yeah. like an old school powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we don't want any of that sort of stuff. But for me, the thing that he fills is the the gaping hole in this whole team. He's the energy guy. He's going to go after rebounds. He Play is D. a defensive beast. That's all the team needs. Yeah, we need a big guy who's going to rebound, who's going to throw himself out of bounds to save a ball. And not get pissed off if he doesn't take a shot. Well, exactly. Yeah, he'll a be, lunch pail guy. He'll be happy to feed off lobs. He's yeah, got, you know, collar stuff. Put him in pick and rolls, he'll finish, that sort of stuff. Yep. I think one of the things that I did hear the guys on Overtime talking about is that Perth have been running a, a very small ball sort of offense with a lot of three-pointers, yes. which I think they've actually tempered quite a lot in the last few weeks. They really, I, it's coincided with the six-game win streak a little bit, yeah, actually. Which I'm, yeah. I'm really impressed with. And I love the fact that the, the team has been able to adapt from that. So yeah, look, as long as they, they don't sort of try and turn Brown into a three-point shooter, because it's not his game. No. He could be exactly what the Wildcats need. Now they've just got to try and get him released from frigging. Yeah, from because Russia. he needs to play play seven and there's eight left in order to qualify for finals. That's right. Yeah. So, But no, Perth looking very good. So as I mentioned, I haven't seen the game yet. It's a shame that Besson didn't have a great one, but I'm still fairly confident that he is a first round pick. And he reminds me of the Bogdanovich boys. Okay. But more athletic. Maybe not. So, yeah, maybe not so much the one in Utah. Maybe the the one that was playing for Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. But I he, that, I think his game will translate to the NBA really well. So massive game coming up on the weekend. If Perth handle their business against Tassie, they'll be a seven on the trot, and the Sydney Kings at eight on the trot will be coming in. So one of the two biggest streaks in the league will be broken. That Sydney Southeast Melbourne game. What a skid by the Phoenix, hey? What a weekend. Yeah, and it, again, it seems weird talking about Sydney being able to execute down the stretch and make decent enough plays and play smart. So I don't even think Sydney were particularly good. I just think South East Melbourne were worse down the stretch. But, but they were smart. Yeah, well, yeah. Because yeah. one of the things we spoke about off air was the inability for South East Melbourne to think their way through it and go, oh, we need to foul. Because they're under a two-second differential between the game clock and the shot clock. I found the ending for the Southeast Melbourne, the whole thing was very bizarre. So they're down one. They've got the ball. They basically run an ISO to Mitch Creek, who's pretty much triple teamed. It was a horrible shot. Not a good look at all. No screens, not enough movement, really poor final shot. They brick that. Sydney get the rebound. And then as you say, they don't foul them. What the fuck are they doing? They basically let the whole shot clock go. It's just completely baffling. And then left themselves less than a second to hit a game winner. But can I also say full credit to Sydney for actually having the nous to not do what so many teams do and fire one up with five seconds left on the shot clock. No, they didn't. The one-legged shot from the corner that Adams took wasn't fantastic. It, to me, it was the best shot he could have taken. Yeah, well, they got the rebound in the end. That's that's at the very end. So, yeah, I just I can't believe. I don't know what the hell South East Melbourne were thinking. They had a shot at that game if they just fouled. Now, Jarell, Who needs the LM ending? Jarrell Martin, he tried to miss the second free throw, accidentally made it. <laughs> So oh, it didn't matter anyway. There's was, was 0.4 seconds. No, left. but the, the thing that I have the biggest problem with is the, the play that Southeast Melbourne ran out of that timeout. You have got Xavier Mumford, who has been absolutely killing it all day, three or five from three at that stage. So he's shooting a good percentage. He somehow didn't even have a shot in the third quarter. And you're running a play for Isaiah Liafa. Yeah. Like, what is going on? Yeah, uh, yeah. Simon Mitchell, I, I don't know 
what you're thinking. It wasn't a great end of game for him. And and the reason that I say this as well is because obviously when a play has been run, you kind of see the guys going through the motion of what's being called. Oh yeah, I've got to set a down screen and he's going to roll around. Mumford actually came up through a screen from Joe Chi. Wani Swakula Bullock was guarding him and actually went under the screen. So, yes. so you had Joe Chi, you had Brandon Ashley, and then you had his man who was Swakula Bullock. If All he needed to do was pop out. Mumford turns, he's got himself a wide open three yep. to win the game. And again, there wasn't much time left, but they could have it could have been done. Eight tenths is more than enough time to catch and shoot. Yeah, I, I, yep. I just I don't understand again why you would run a play for a guy like Isaiah Liafa, who's not exactly proven himself to be clutch. And then what do you do? You throw the ball at his feet. Yeah. Horrible, horrible pass from a point guard, it has to be said as well. Yep. I don't know why you don't have a tall swingman inbounding in that situation for starters. The, the, the whole game was mismanaged at the end. And now the Phoenix are on the outside looking in. Illawarra have jumped into the top four. and Well, I will just quickly go back as well. Who would probably have been taking that inbounds pass had he been playing? Ryan Brokov. Yes, true. So not yeah. having Brokov gives you no six foot eight good passing sort of guy to, to pass the Who ball. Who can in. see over a defender. Yeah, yeah. against yeah. that height. But yeah, moving on. I mean, that 103-97 loss to Illawarra it's going to make it hard for the, the Phoenix. I mean, they've got a very favorable run. That's probably the one thing in their favor. They get to play the likes of Adelaide and Cairns and a few of their That's stars. true, yeah. They do have probably one of the softer schedules on the way home. So you could certainly still make a case for them making it, but, geez, they just they don't look good. Well, their margin for error shrinks and shrinks with yeah. every loss. Yeah. The Illawarra game, I mean, they got smashed off the park for probably 90% of that game. They were down by 19 with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. And this is the reason why I'm still not sold on Illawarra. They get to that position and they allow the Phoenix to get all the way back and they're up by three with 30 seconds left. And thankfully for them, another late game Joe Chi missed the Simon on defense. Mm. This time it wasn't hand down. It was just he was in the keyway when he should have been at the top and Rathan May steps into a three and puts the game away. So, yeah, I don't think either of those teams are particularly convincing and I would be wanting to face either of them. I would be over the moon getting either of those in the first round. Yeah, look, there's still two months of the season left before playoffs, basically. So it will be interesting to see what happens. But if the playoffs started today, it's a three-horse race between Melbourne, Perth and Sydney. At this stage, yeah. Uh, it's a good win without Xavier Cooks too. Yeah, well, this is it. And, and also, again, just going back to that Illawarra-Southeast Melbourne game, the other reason, and, and this is one that Corey Homicide-Williams brought up, the other reason that game is not impressive is because they beat a team that they're expected to beat without Brian Brokov at home by six. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Give me another of those teams. I would be licking my lips. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, one of these days I'll watch over time. I haven't seen an episode yet this season. What do you make of Cleveland's celebration after beating Tassie and Scott Roth's reaction? I don't mind the reaction from Cleveland just purely because this is a team that has beaten Illawarra twice recently. So, and this is a team that they are fighting for that last playoff spot with. They've beaten them twice. Roth is a guy who has definitely worn his, his emotions on his sleeve. He celebrates like that all the time. And this is the thing. If you're going to give it, you have to be able to take it. Yeah. That's my view very strongly. So I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with Roth going to shake his hand and Cleveland pushing him. Yes, off. that wasn't cool. That's a dick move. And I, I do think Cleveland realized the error of his ways. I did watch the entire kind of handshake lines and it, I think he did kind of go, oh yeah, that was a bit shit. And I think Gorge kind of corralled him and said, look, just let sleeping dogs lie. And yeah, yeah. move on. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I, I, look, it's not a good look. You don't want coaches getting... And we've, we've seen it before. Joey Wright's been involved with that sort of stuff. And I, I mean, I can't think of them, but there's been multiple coaches over the past few years anyway that have kind of been involved in altercations with players. And you just, you don't need it. Stewie, if I played on that team and Antonius asked me to get him something, like, for example, oh, Nath, can you go and grab me a drink? Oh, yeah, sure, mate. I'd get him the drink. And as I handed it to him, I'd say, Cleveland, this is for you. <laughs> how, how Whenever long... I give him anything, that's I would always say it every time. How He'd long be have sick you of me. been holding on? No, it just occurred to me today. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it just, just came to my mind. Yeah. Well, after a good game, I would tell him that Cleveland rocks. Yeah, this, Cleveland but... rocks. <laughs> that's too, that's so there you go. There you go. Now, we don't talk about the bad teams very often, and I talk about a bad team because of a bad stat. Although, this is kind of a sweet and sour stat. So, Adelaide had back-to-back games where they won and then lost by 25-plus points after beating Cairns by 26 and then losing to Melbourne by 27. Thanks to NBL Facts, it's the third time it's happened. In the early stages of 96, they lost to the Hawks by 32 and then beat Canberra by the same total. And then if you go even further back, and this one's crazy, In 1985, they won a semi over the Newcastle Falcons by 48 and then lost the first game of the grand final by 26. So an incredible 74-point swing. Wow. We have looked at big swings over two games before. I can't remember when it was, but yeah, that that is definitely one of the biggest ones I've seen. In fact, it might even be the biggest of all time. Yeah, that's crazy. And NBL Facts, great follow as always. Amazing. Now, I don't think anyone was really expecting any different kind of result other than a 27-point win over Adelaide. But one of the things that is kind of scary right now, and we've just talked about that three-horse race, is the talk about some of these people that they're looking at as options for filling in these remaining import spots. Now, Yudai Barbo was one that we talked about earlier in the season. His name has been thrown out. Oh, so key to their championship last year. Does have some traction. A really great defensive guy. One of those good wing... Finishes kind of like what Brad Newley was maybe 15, 30 years ago. I don't know. When when was Brad Newley young? Like 19? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But an even better defender. Uh, uh, I mean, just such a good defender. Such a good defender. Yeah. Really, yeah. really great at traveling before hitting half court threes. <laughs> Not dirty about that. That was a that was I was at that game. That that was a turning point. The the big one though that I've seen thrown out is Gerald Green. So the oh, that'd be amazing. Former dunk comp. Former dunk comp champion. Great player with the Boston Celtics, the Minnesota Timberwolves. He was drafted out of high school, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I think he before was, the yeah. rule change back, yeah. So he's, again, that super bouncy, really catch-fire three-point sort of guy who, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if he came into an NBL game and hit eight threes and a half. I tell you what, with that level of talent, there would be a very interesting chemistry experiment, but you'd rather have that headache than not have the oh, player yeah. Yeah. So. too much talent or not enough yeah. Well, yeah. You can take that. so yeah it, it's going to be a very very interesting week off the court in terms of who signs where because we're getting to that pointy end of the season where guys won't be able to so nba Stewie, i don't have much at all this week i'll be honest i did not watch one single game of nba in the last week since we last recorded i watched a shitload of ncaa tournament i see you've got a bit there i've only got a couple of weird stats i have been watching every lakers game which is really fucking painful. Well, in the hope that I... Because they're always on. No, well, not not even so much that. Just in the hope that I would catch LeBron passing Carmel. Ah, of course, yeah. The second all-time on the scoring list. Fair enough. And wouldn't you know it, the one day I sleep in... Always. ...is the day that the Lakers have an early game and I wake up and LeBron is four points past it. So 
Very disappointing to miss out on seeing that, but look, he's the one tire on the pile in LA that's not currently burning. <laughs> he is doing, yeah, just doing amazing things at 37. I'll, I'll give you a few, a few things. And one of the things I actually saw today, funnily enough, so LeBron is now leading the league in scoring at 30 points a game. The highest full season scoring average for a guy in his 19th season is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 22? 14.6. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought I saw it. It must have been a season or two before that. So when he was 37, he, he had 22 points a game. Oh, I see. Okay. Shout out to NBA Bo. Yes. Yes, indeed. But uh, yeah, when he was in his 19th season, only 14.6. So LeBron's set to nearly, well, more than double that, actually. Oh, and I saw your comment to NBA Bo, too. So, of course... Kareem didn't come straight out of high school no. and he had a very, very good collegiate career as you, as Lou Alcindor in UCLA. So, yeah. yeah. So now he's sitting what 1440 points. I think it is shy of Kareem's record. That's less than one season of even 20 points a game. And you've got to consider that this is his 18th consecutive season, averaging more than 25 a game. And he wants to be there till Bronny gets there. So, you know, he's not going to do a Tom Brady. No, barring injury, it's probably going to take me about 60 games to do this. Now, First player in the history of the league with multiple 50-point games after turning 35. First player in the history of the league with a 50-point game before turning 21 and after turning 35. He's now ranked second in points, seventh in assists, and 39th in rebounds. So he's got a total ranking, if you add all three of Yeah, I saw this one. Of 48, which passed Kareem for first all time. And for a guy that was supposedly a hybrid of Jordan and Magic... He's got more points than MJ and he's now 105 assists shy of magic all time. So you'd think you'll get that potentially by the end of the season. Yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously MJ and magic had shorter careers. Yeah. yeah. For different reasons, Hmm. but uh, wow. Yeah. He's been an impressive player. Yeah. And no matter how you look at the Jordan versus LeBron argument, one thing that Jordan will never have over LeBron is the longevity and the extended period of excellence over, over that, much of a period of time who knows what jordan could have done at that age but his numbers had already dipped down towards the 20 points a game by the time he hit well if jerry krauss hadn't broken that team up well who knows how many though love you jerry now i've got some weird stats julia i see you've got some other notes there let's let's run through that first i mean my thing that i really just wanted to highlight was what a crazy couple of weeks it's been for high scoring games like we've had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant become the first teammates ever to drop 50 paces in back-to-back games. Yeah, Kyrie had a 60. And then Carl Anthony Towns drops a 60 the night after that. Yeah, yeah. Tatum had a 54. Sadiq Bey had 51. LeBron's had multiple 50s. Since the last day of February, we've had nine 50-point games. What do you reckon with Kyrie? Do you reckon the fact he's not playing every game helps? He would have been pretty fresh. Yeah, it, it certainly couldn't hurt. I mean, you're not playing, yeah, five games in seven days or, or whatever ridiculous schedule a lot of these teams have. So, yeah, definitely being able to play two games a week, it's going to help the body. It will. It will. But, geez, 9.50 since that's nearly one every second day. That's incredible. Mm. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it just is. It's so much fun to watch. And it's great to see guys like Sadiq Bay, where that was, that was a day where it was Orlando and Detroit was the only game on. Yeah, that's because the tournament kicked off, that, yeah. or the, the round of 64 kicked off, yeah. And I saw multiple people on Twitter say, oh, God, what a shit day in the NBA. And it's like, well, you missed Sadiq Bay, don't Yeah, you? I'm surprised they even scheduled a game. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that 51 ends up being more of the Tony Delk variety or of a better player. He's still got a long way to go, like, hopefully. Like, so, Like Willie Burton. Yeah, yeah, that's or right. What Tracy, sort of Tracy Murray. What sort of career will he have? Time will tell, but uh, Kevin Porter Jr., 
couple of weird stats, Shui. Tony Snell had a one rebound game in 31 minutes. No other stats. Tony Snell just dishes up these bizarre games. It's, it's going to become the award. It's like, <laughs> yeah. who wins the Snelly? Basically. Oh, Shui. Yeah. A segment could be in the works here. Yeah, good. It's on. It's the Snellies. On. The Snellies. And DJ Augustine had 20 points on 100% shooting on both field goals and three-pointers. So any shot from the floor. And no other stats. Bizarre. Mm. Yeah. So really quickly, we'll talk about the NCAA. I've watched the early games, the early games in America. So they're on at midnight here in Perth. So my nocturnal nature is well documented. I'm working from home, so I don't need to get up early to drive into work. So I can stay up a bit later. So I've been watching those midnight games. They've been pretty enjoyable. They haven't been the best of the best, but there have been some good ones. North Carolina, Baylor was an interesting one. North Carolina with the upset there. Baylor had resorted to these weird fouling tactics, but the refs weren't calling them. So they nearly came back from an enormous, I think think it was 25. It was a massive margin, but North Carolina got over the line there. Houston, Illinois was an interesting one for a little while there as well. It was good to watch Kofi Coburn for the Fighting Illini as their big center, like one of those traditional kind of shack guys right down low. That was quite entertaining, but they didn't get over the line, unfortunately for them. Michigan's become just the fifth team to make five consecutive Sweet 16s since 1985. Do you want to have a crack? Nope. (laughs) <laughs> it's all the ones you'd expect. So Duke, North Carolina, Gonzaga, and Kansas. On- yeah, see, I would have expected Kentucky to be in there. Kentucky, yeah. Well, they they had a, they've been upset early in in early rounds of late um, mm. a couple of years. Bill Self's now in his eleventh thirty win season for the third most in Division One history, behind Mike Shashevsky and Roy Williams. Uh, a couple of other things. Olivia Miles became the first freshman, man or woman, to get a triple-double in the tournament in Notre Dame's win over Massachusetts. I'll tell you what, I saw a little bit of that game and she her court vision is amazing. Some of the passes she was throwing. Like, she'll be a very handy WNBA player one day, I suspect. The Big 12 had the first round of plus 138, the biggest point differential of any conference in any round in NCAA tournament history. Not as many upsets as we would have liked. The Peacocks. Yes, go the Cox. <laughs> They're doing all right. They're still around. So, yeah, probably more seeds than there would be normally. Although you were talking about the, the bracket busting. There was no perfect brackets. And I gave that incredible stat about the NCAA brackets, I think, the season before last. Well, I think the last game of the first round, or certainly the, the Peacocks game was one of the last of that first round. And there were still two perfect brackets at that stage. But the fact there were only two that early yeah. is pretty amazing. But both of those people had different teams in that game. Yes. So one of them got through perfect, the one that picked the Peacocks. So only one perfect in the whole. That's incredible. And then they got done yeah, yeah. the very next day. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, it, there's the chances of getting a perfect bracket is you, insurmountable. You, you win the lottery. More well, often. you're better off. You're better off. What was that stat I gave? You're better off picking a grain of sand from the beach yeah. that you wanted. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's unreal. It's ridiculous. It's probably been maybe a little bit more predictable in the women's as well. There's still a couple of 10 seeds. So Creighton is still sitting there, South Dakota. But often in the women's game, the, the good teams will beat up on the lesser teams. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're talking about like the NC States, the Louisvilles, the South Carolinas, they're still in there, Stanford. So all four of the one seeds are still in there. South Carolina. Geez, you showed me that win they had. Yeah. What was it 79 to 21 or something like that? It was ridiculous. Oh, the but quarter was, by quarter analysis. Jeez. It was 44 to four at halftime, which is Ouch. just, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Unfortunately, for some of these 16 seeds that get in, it is basically just a case of, your cannon fodder yeah and yeah look for some of them it's just a case of being there and, and that's fair enough oh it's still a massive career achievement that's something that or they'll all be very proud of 
as yeah. they should. But look, the likelihood of a final four being all ones, twos, threes, and four seeds is looking pretty likely. Much more likely on the women's side. And again, that's always the way. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this Sport Blokes segment. Why not listen to the full episode and check out their Twitter at Sport Blokes. Mm-hmm.